Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a, yeah, it's a long cord there. Yeah. All right. Hey, go ahead and open your Bibles up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 27 through 42 this morning. John chapter 4, if you're new to the Bible, uh, don't be afraid to ask someone for help to uh, check your table of contents. You can... I want you to follow along. I'll be teaching from the ESV. And if you need a copy of God's Word, we have some in the back. Uh, you can raise your hand. You can get up and go grab one. Um, and we would uh, love to give you that as a gift. Uh, John chapter 4, 27 through 42. As a church, we've been studying uh, this wonderful account from the Apostle John on the life of Jesus. And uh, all of this is to, to point to who Christ is. He, he gives his thesis statement for this writing and says, It is so that you may believe. And in believing, you would have eternal life in Christ. And so uh, that is our goal, that is our hope, and uh, this morning we are uh, just, uh, we're excited, uh, we are celebrating uh, what has happened, but um, as we will see in our text, and I, I just love that uh, God's just sovereign timing to put us here in this place, in this time, uh, where uh, I didn't have to go outside of the text to find another a message to kind of call our church to action this morning. So I'm uh, just very thankful for the way that the Lord has provided. Uh, thankful for each one of you, uh, especially as Miss Susan Campbell mentioned, uh, our men's uh, group chat, uh, CCF group chat was uh, just, I mean, just eager and ready, willing to serve and to help. So uh, thankful to our church for being a church that is uh, willing and uh, just active and uh, Lord willing um, as we will see, we will uh, get the chance to do some more. So John chapter 4, I'm going to read 27 through 42 for us. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask God to help us, and uh, I would encourage you to pray for me. John chapter 4, verse 27, and God's word says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper 
may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, we just give you praise, honor for even just giving us your word to instruct, to guide, to correct. So, Lord, we ask that as we study, as we seek to learn how we as a church can be active and Take action now in this cultural moment. Lord, would you work and transform our hearts, renew us, help us to leave here different than we walked in. But we need your help, so we ask what we know not you would teach us, and what we are not you would make us, and what we have not you would give us by your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen. The great theologian J.I. Packer once wrote, The Christian's motto should not be let go and let God, but trust God and get going. Brothers and sisters, we have a tremendous opportunity in front of us. We have a tremendous opportunity to trust God and get going. In the days ahead, we will have to make a conscious decision on how we engage with the culture. We all have to decide how to respond to the decision handed down by the Supreme Court on Friday that overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, I'm incredibly thankful and grateful for the decision made by the Supreme Court. I'm thankful that God has shown his mercy on our country, and I believe that this decision will indeed save many lives. Uh, Just some statistics for you. Based on the most recent studies that were done in 2020, one in five pregnancies were terminated. One in five, that's 20%. And while it is true that any woman included in that 20% can find freedom and forgiveness in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, it is a staggering number. And Lord willing, because of the ruling, that number will now significantly decrease and little lives will be saved. But what do we do? What does the church do now? What is our response? 
What is our responsibility as God's people? How do we engage with those around us in the middle of this current cultural moment full of tension, anger, and hostility? Do we sit back, consider ourselves relieved of our duty to engage in the fight for life? Do we say, the work is done, it's over, let's celebrate, the decision has been given? Do we rely on laws and legislations to accomplish the God-given mission of the church to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey our Savior, Jesus Christ, and entrusting that Jesus is going to be with us every single step of the way? I think we all know the answer to that. I know our church We are mature believers. Of course we don't sit back. And just as true gospel-centered pro-life work didn't start in 1973 with Roe v. Wade, it does not end with the overturning of Roe v. Wade in 2022. Brothers and sisters, we have work to do. Listen. I believe and I trust that God can and will use this moment in time to bring people to salvation for their good and his glory. Isn't that what our God does? Isn't that how God works? I mean, look, we have been looking at this story of this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus' interaction with this woman here in chapter 4. I mean, have we not learned that our God is a God who seeks out sinners, who uses every single opportunity? He, he transcends cultural, societal constructs. He extends to them the free offer of salvation as he overcomes all hurdles and boundaries with authority and power beyond our imagination. Our God takes uncomfortable and unlikely situations and turns them into opportunities to display his glory, power, ability, and willingness to save. As always, in these moments, there's a real present opportunity to share the gospel. I mean, there is no greater time And it is in these moments in time when tensions are high and anger is heavy that we must intentionally look for ways to harvest that which the Lord has brought to be. The title of today's sermon is The Harvest is Ready. I'm going to add a call to action, a call to action. And today as we look at the end of this story here in chapter 4, the result of this encounter with Jesus and this woman. I want us to observe three commitments necessary for the harvest. Three commitments that are necessary that we see here in this text. I'm going to give you the three. You can write them down if you're taking notes. Number one, we'll see a commitment to evangelism. A commitment to evangelism. 
Number two, we will see a commitment to urgency. Commitment to urgency. Number three, we will see a commitment to truth. Now, remember what has happened up to this point. Uh, Some of you have been with us uh, each week that we've been looking at this. Uh, If you haven't, go back. They're on Spotify. They're on YouTube. But I'll give us a quick just context summary here of where we are in this story, if you're not familiar. But uh, Jesus and his disciples, they've started their journey from Judea to Galilee. They make their way through a town called Samaria, which is full of people that uh, Jews typically don't engage with. They hated them. And Jesus sends his disciples. He says, hey, you guys go get some food, and I'm going to camp out here by this well. Uh, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. This was a divine encounter, though. This was an intentional, I believe, chance, an opportunity that Jesus was intentional with going to do. While they were gone, Jesus meets a woman. She had been divorced five times. She was currently living with a man who was not her husband. Uh, Scholars would say she was an adulteress. And because of her adultery and because of her lifestyle, it has caused her to be ostracized and isolated. And so she's doing things out of the ordinary from the rest of the village. She's, She's there at a very odd, obscure time in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, drawing water. This was odd because what happens, usually the women would go, they would draw water together. They would use it as a communal event. They would talk about the latest trends and fashions in the village. But this woman doesn't do this. Her sin has caused a barrier between her community. Jesus talks to her, has a conversation. He confronts her, confronts her about her sin, but he offers her salvation. He says, if you would have asked, I would have given you something better than the water you are seeking to quench your thirst. I've got something better for you. And then he teaches her that God is looking for people that will rightly worship him. It's not this distinction of Jew It's not just the rabbis. It's not just a particular sect of people. It is people that will worship God in spirit and truth. Then he makes a dramatic confession to this woman, telling her that he indeed is the Messiah that they've been looking for. Remember, she says, like, could you, are you the the one? We've been looking for the Messiah. He's like, I am he. I mean, this is one of the places in Scripture that we actually see Jesus Christ make the confession. It's me. And then in verse 27, in this result of this story, here's what we see happen. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Let's stop there and let's just first take notice of the divine sovereignty of our God. I mean, this is perfect timing here. I mean, the disciples don't come back 
too soon to interrupt the conversation too early. But they come back at the right time to see Jesus having this conversation that would have been taboo. It was not appropriate for a man of Jesus' stature, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, to have a conversation with a woman, and even farther, uh, a, a, or further, a Samaritan woman. I mean, that's why they are so perplexed here. It says they marveled that he was talking with this woman. But here, Jesus demonstrates to his disciples the heart that they will need to properly evangelize. He he shows them here. He, He wants them to see and witness how he is engaging with this woman. They cannot allow social cultural constructs to prohibit them from extending the offer of salvation to anyone that would come to Christ. And Jesus shows them this firsthand. They marveled. And they didn't ask any questions. And we we don't know exactly why. The text doesn't give us, okay, well, hey, this is why they didn't ask questions. We can make assumptions. We can speculate that maybe at that point they had a level of trust Already that they had said, okay, uh, we're going to just trust what he's doing. Uh, The rabbi-disciple relationship was a, a relationship of trust here. But all we know is that these disciples, they kept their mouth shut. They didn't ask questions. They, they, they trust, they put their trust in what Jesus is doing. So here we see first Jesus demonstrating a commitment to evangelize, first and foremost. And we see him giving his disciples a lesson in it as well. And then in verses 28 through 30, we read about the woman, about her commitment to evangelism. Let's look at that. So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then we read that they went out of the town and were coming to him. So what happens here? I mean, what is her response to coming face to face with Jesus? She has to tell somebody. She goes to her people. I mean, she leaves her water jar and goes to tell others what and who, what has just happened and who she has just met. Uh, once again here, we don't know exact, the exact reason why she left her water jar. We don't uh, know exactly the uh, precise circumstance to what caused her to leave it there. But we can probably make a good speculation here that the water jar was pretty big. Okay, these are the same water jars that were used at the, um, at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turns the water into wine, and we know that those, those were pretty, pretty big. It's the same word that's used there. So 
her carrying this would have probably been an obstruction to her speed to get to where she wanted to go. Whatever the case is, we see that she's not going to allow anything to slow her down. She immediately responds by going to tell others. We've got to remember who these people were, too. They were the people that had ostracized her. They were the people that knew her sin. She is radically changed now. See, this is the fruit of a regenerated life. We, we that have been regenerated know that there is now no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is the sign of change here. This is the result of someone who has had their sins identified and forgiven. Brother and sister, is that you? I mean, have you truly seen Christ? Have you truly been honest with Jesus and said, this is who I am? Or is there something that you're holding on to, like, I can't give him that. I I can't confess that. If that's the case for you, then you will never be able to boldly evangelize like this woman. You will never be able to go back to the same people who know you, who have told you you are an outcast and share with them gospel. She says, he told me all that I ever did. Now, clearly this is a stretch because Jesus probably, uh, it's probably about an hour, maybe two hours that he's been with her, uh, probably didn't have uh, the, the time to tell her everything she has ever done in all of her life from uh, womb to now this portion of her encounter. But what I would say here is that this is likely speaking to told me all that I ever did in reference to her sin. Because remember, this is what we get the record of, of Jesus saying, hey, yeah, you you got these guys, you're living with a guy now, he's not your husband, you got to stop. So she goes and she says, this is the man that knows me. But she doesn't stop there. It's the forgiveness that she has now been offered. I mean, these people, as I mentioned, they know who she is. This isn't a big village. She's already modified her life. She's doing things to avoid her community. But now we see her respond in a way that is a lesson for us all. She says, come meet him. (laughs) Come meet this man. Come see the man who knows me, who called out my flaws. Come see him for yourself. This woman is zealous. 
She is zealous to point others to Christ. And brothers and sisters, I must ask us this morning, have we lost our zeal? Have we lost our zeal for evangelism? I see it happen all the time, right? People become so far removed from their conversion, and I'm guilty of this too. You know, we mature in the faith now, so we we lose our zeal to just proclaim the simplicity of come see Jesus. We go on to bigger and better things. What once starts as a fire inside of us when we meet the Savior face to face slowly dims, slowly gets smaller and smaller until it's nothing but a heap of ashes, a remnant of what once was. Have we lost our zeal? Have we lost the eagerness here? Do we remember what we've been saved from? That we too were at one time standing under the righteous wrath of God. Like we deserve damnation, hell, eternal suffering, but God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to be successful witnesses for our Savior, we got to open our mouths and tell others about him. Look, don't, don't buy the lie that it's not polite to impose your convictions. It's a lie. It's intrusive. It's impolite. It's a lie. Listen, take every opportunity you can to evangelize the world around you. Open your mouth. And look, if you don't know how to evangelize, ask for help. I mean, there are resources everywhere. Uh, You have a church that would love to help you. But don't shirk your responsibility because of an unwillingness to learn. Look, this woman didn't have much training or experience either, did she? Uh, She didn't go to seminary for four years and and, and then go off to go to... She, she just went and said, hey, this is what I know. There's a man named Jesus. You got to see him. You got to go and see this man who told me everything about me, and he's offered me forgiveness, and now I am changed, and I have the boldness to be a courageous evangelist. We got to learn from the simple commitment to evangelize. We read on, though, in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So while the woman is off telling her, the the village, her people about Jesus, about what has just happened to her, telling them that, hey, now you got to go see this guy. You got to go meet him. The disciples are with Jesus, and they're saying, hey, Rabbi, you need to eat. 
Remember, we went to go get you some food. Uh, well, we're back, and we've got it, so uh, why aren't you eating? Remember, Jesus is fully God, fully man. He, he, he needed nutrition. There was needed food. But Jesus declines the physical food because he is completely satisfied with the spiritual work that has been done. I mean, he, he's satisfied here. And what a beautiful reminder of the Savior's tremendous joy in saving souls. I mean, he doesn't even want to eat. You ever been doing something maybe that you enjoy? Or maybe you've just been working and you just forget to eat, right? You know, like, I'm just so captivated by whatever's happening right now that I, I just... I forgot to eat. I don't need to eat. I'm full. I don't feel hungry anymore. I think we easily forget passages like Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand, the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus went to the cross with joy. And the reason why is because he knew it was the way to secure and save a people for himself, for eternity. Remember the high priestly prayer in John 17, which we will get to in uh, maybe next year sometime. Maybe the year after that. I don't know. It's been how long we go through this. But he says, Father, in verse 24, Father, right, he's praying To God the Father, he said, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I mean, what a beautiful reminder that Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, wants you with him. He wants you there. It's, it's like, you know, my, my kids, whenever we have someone over, they, they always want to bring people, some of you have experienced this, they, they want to bring, can, can we show them our room, right? You know, like, can they go in our room? Like, I don't know, you have to ask them, you know, like go in my kid's room, that would be really weird. But like, ask them, and they probably will, but they want to show them. They're like, this is my space, this is my stuff, I love this, look at that, look at my picture on the wall, look, you know, they enjoy these things, and this is what Jesus is saying, I want these people. They're my possession. I love them. Jesus did not begrudgingly die for you. Why do we begrudgingly hold back the offer of salvation? Why do we begrudgingly, like, we, ah, you know, I don't want to, I don't really want to share, you know, maybe I don't want to, you know, impose on anyone about my Christian beliefs here, you know, about Jesus Christ. I don't want to say too much. Like, stop. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves to save, and he loves those that he saved. So much that he died so that they will be with him forever. The disciples, right, what are they they thinking? We've seen this over and over in this gospel. They're thinking worldly. They're thinking strictly physical, like they don't get it. So what are they saying? 
Like, who brought this guy some food? He doesn't want to eat. Like, what's going on here? Did you bring him food? Yeah, you know, imagine the scene, right? Did you bring him some food? Did you drop something? You know, was there someone else? Like, what's going on here? Jesus clarifies his statement in verse 34 by saying that he has nourishment that is found in fulfilling the mission he has been sent on by his father. He says, I am here to do the will of my father, and when I do it, I am fully satisfied. John 6, 38 Another reminder of this. For I've come down from heaven. He says not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was on a mission. Are are we? Are we living with this type of conviction? Then he turns the conversation to them and says, don't worry about me. What are you doing? What are you doing? And we read on in verse 35. Do not say, do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. We see here our second necessity for the harvest. We need a commitment to urgency. I don't have time to sit around and wait. This world is passing by. Our lives are but a vapor. They will be gone before you know it. Jesus gives them kind of what uh, many scholars would say to be a parable, right? Like, doesn't it take four months for the harvest to arrive? Essentially saying, like, work is done, and then you must wait before you can reap. Or in other words, he says, like, there's this agricultural process that has to take place. But apparently, here, that process, that waiting time is gone. The the gap has been closed. The process is different now. Jesus says, lift up your eyes. Look around. The, The harvest is here. Now, some would say that maybe the village, the, the, the village people, the people are, are coming, and uh, Jesus says, like, look at them, right? Like, here they, here they come. You guys didn't really do anything. Remember, they went in with uh, very physical eyes. They had an opportunity to really uh, share the gospel, but uh, we, we see that they went in and got, got food. He says, look. I mean, regardless of what is happening exactly, if it's a, a illustrative or if it's a visual look and see, the harvest is here. You see that there's a job, there's something that must be done. 36, right? Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may now rejoice together. Verse 37, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. 
He says at the end of verse 38, others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So, I mean, he's just really giving this agricultural idea here. Like, I mean, clearly we know one person, you, you got to sow. You, 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 you have to do the work. And then there's reaping. But he says that in this day, in this time, that reaper and sower are together. They're rejoicing. We really see here the promises of Amos 9.13. If you've uh, been a member of our church for a while, you know we went through uh, the, uh, the prophet Amos, and we, we studied that. And in chapter 9, there's a lot of uh, fulfill, uh, our prophecy that now we see. Uh, Jesus is really fulfilling here. See, the Bible all works together. It's, it, it's, a, it's a one story pointing to the redemption of God's people through Jesus Christ. And, and here we see in uh, Amos 9.13, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. This propels the idea. There's a new process that Jesus is speaking about. The time is now. The time is now. There is urgency. The, the, the gap is closed. The, the time period has closed down to where we are there. We have entered into the labor. The time for the disciples has arrived here. They will reap the benefits from the labor of others. They're reaping benefits of what the Samaritan woman did of her response to Jesus. And Jesus really lays this out that, hey, I'm the one that's in control of this whole thing. I'm the one that's in control. I handled the evangelism here, revealed myself to this woman. Jesus says, like, I've got people to save here. Now I'm going to allow you to participate. But you must take action. They are told to reap that for which you did not labor. And this is a direct command. There isn't any room to second guess what Jesus is talking about there. We don't need uh, interpretation. We know what he says here. Just go and do it. Enter into their labor. I mean, what a clarion call. What a reminder for us today that there is work to be done. Listen, there are many people with their eyes on the church right now wondering what is the church going to do? How is the church going to respond? There's many people outside of the church that are building their arguments on the case that the church has been very active in stopping abortion, wanting to end abortion, which is a good thing, but they haven't been very present for the postpartum side of abortion. They haven't really been around to help 
They say, yeah, woo, we did it, which is a good thing. But we must be active participants as the journey continues. We need faithful women to encourage, support, mentor young women faced with unplanned pregnancies, being honest with moms-to-be that motherhood is hard. But it is a reward that is so well worth it. It is the most substantial work you will ever do in your life. And finally, helping them to navigate motherhood after the child is born. Teaching them what they know if they are mothers or learning with them if they're not. Like coming alongside and helping we need faithful men to encourage, support, and mentor men faced with an unplanned pregnancy. Helping these fathers to understand their role and responsibility to protect, provide, and preserve their family. Walking beside them to help them navigate the complexities of being a father. And listen, this may mean that we have to make some adjustments in our life. May mean we have to modify our budgets. And I'm not just talking about your finances while that's included. I'm talking about the time you've been given too. This may mean that we have to do a little less scrolling, watching the game. May mean we have to do a little less of our favorite hobbies, of uh, golfing or whatever that may mean for you. Ladies, it may mean you changing some of your activities as well. But we have all been called to steward our money and our time for God's glory and for the good of those around us. We have to remember salvation is a process, right? And it's a process that God must accomplish. And while we may be blessed to play a part in leading someone to Christ and have the opportunity to rejoice and celebrate as we reap the harvest, there will also be many that reject the free offer of salvation. We will feel as if our labor is in vain. But brother and sister, let me encourage you that it is not. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up, is what Paul reminds the church in Galatia. The reaping will not always look the same, but as we labor to do good, we will be blessed beyond our imagination. See, we have an opportunity now even that the disciples didn't even have at that time. See, we know the story. We know that Jesus did die. He was the Messiah. And he was vindicated. Perfect death. Perfect ransom. Propitiation. Put forth. Substitute for our sins when God raised him from the dead. Now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will return to take his people to rule and reign with him for eternity. So let us get to work. Let us 
be committed to urgency and to this process of the harvest and see that there is great work to be done. Finally, I'll close with a quick point as we look at our last three verses here. As we look at the necessity for commitment to truth. Necessity for commitment to truth. Verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed. Why? Because of his word. They said to the woman, if it, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So people believed the woman when she said, he told me all that I ever did. That was the spark plug to get things going. This caused them to ask Jesus to stick around, right? It caused them to ask him, hey, stick around, teach us. The text tells us he stayed there for two days teaching this group of people. And it says that many more believe because of his word. See, it started with her word, but it continues with his word. Or in other words, our testimonies are great starters, but God's word is the matter of sustainability. They say, we've heard for ourselves. Like, we, we've heard this, that this is the Savior of the world, meaning Jew and Gentile, all nations, no exclusions. And what have they heard here? They heard the words of Jesus. Romans 10, 17 reminds us, right? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. There is no other way church. There is no other option. The world's philosophies won't save. Politics won't save. Legislation won't save. Only the truth of Jesus Christ has that power. And we must resolve to make it our priority. We cannot flounder. We cannot shy away from the truth in the face of persecution. We must stand firm and speak the truth in love to those who oppose God's law and God's word. We must be committed to truth if we wish to reap the harvest in front of us. Church, we have work to do. The harvest is ready. Let's be a church that is active and involved in the continued fight for life all the way from the womb to the tomb. May we have the courage to come alongside those faced with unplanned pregnancies with a commitment to evangelize, a commitment to urgency, and a commitment to truth for the good of others the glory of God, let us trust God and get going. We pray. Father, we are grateful that we get to be active. That you've given us an opportunity to 
do something. And Lord, I just pray that we would. I pray that we would be a people that would take the charge, the command that has been given to us to go, therefore, and make disciples. Lord, help us to not shirk our responsibility. Help us to not stiff arm when things get tough, but help us to rally together under the banner of Jesus Christ, trusting that you are with us through your spirit, working in us what we could never accomplish on our own. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.